Chapter Thirty Three of Haworths. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon. Haworths by Francis Hodgson Burnett. Chapter Thirty Three: A Seed Sown there had been as it seemed a lull in the storm the idlers did not come over from moulton and dillop as often as at first the strikes had extended until they were in full blast throughout the country but haworth's so far had held its own haworth himself was regarded as a kind of demigod he might have done almost anything he pleased it was a source of some surprise to his admirers that he chose to do so little and showed no elation one or two observing outsiders saw that his struggle had left its mark upon him there were deep lines in his face he had lost flesh and something of his air of bravado at times he was almost haggard as things became quieter he began to take sudden mysterious journeys to london and manchester and various other towns french did not know why he went in fact french knew very little of him but that his humours were frequently trying and almost more morose after such absences he himself had alternately blown hot and cold of late the fruit of his efforts had rather the flavour of ashes he was of even less importance than before in the works and he continually heard unpleasant comments and reports outside as surely as his spirits rose to a jubilant height some untoward circumstance occurred to dash them i should have thought he said fretfully to his daughter that as a broxton man and-and a gentleman the people would have been with me but they are not no said miss french they are not she knew far more than he did himself she was in the habit of not allowing any sign to escape her when she took her frequent drives she kept her eyes open to all that happened if they dared there are a good many of them who would be insolent to me why should they not dare asked her father with increased irritation because they know i'm not afraid of them because i set them at defiance and for another reason the other reason which he did not state had nothing to do with their daring it was the strong one that in the splendour of her beauty she had her greatest power ordinary womanhood would scarcely in itself have appealed to the chivalric sentiment of broxton moulton and dillop but rachel french driving slowly through the streets and past the beer-house doors and turning her perfect unmoved face for criticism to the crowd collected thereat created a natural diversion those who had previously been in a sarcastic mood lapsed into silence the most inveterate bacco consumers took their pipes out of their mouths feeling it necessary to suspend all action that they might look after her with a clearer appreciation they were neither touched nor softened but they were certainly roused to an active admiration which after a manner held them in check there is na another like her i england was once remarked rather sullenly by one na i england let alone lancashire and be dom to her 
this last added with a shade of delicate significance but there was one man who saw her with eyes different from the rest if he had not seen her existence would have been another matter he seemed to live a simple monotonous life he held his place in the works and did well what he had to do he was not very thoroughly understood by his fellows but there existed a vague feeling of respect for him among them they had become used to his silence and absent-mindedness and the tasks which seemed to them eccentricities his responsibilities had increased but he shouldered them without making any fuss and worked among the rest just as he had been wont to do when he had been flotsam's right hand in the engine-room in more select circles he was regarded somewhat to his distaste with no inconsiderable interest he was talked of privately as a young man with a future before him though the idea of what that future was to be being gathered from french was somewhat indefinite his own reserve upon the subject was rather resented but still was forgiven on the score of eccentricity for the rest he lived as it were in a dream the days came and went but at the close of each there were at least a few hours of happiness and yet it was not happiness of a very tangible form sometimes when he left the house and stepped into the cool darkness of the night outside he found himself stopped for a moment with a sense of bewilderment Hallworth, who sat talking to his partner and following rachel french's figure with devouring eyes had gained as much as he himself she had not spoken often perhaps and had turned from one to the other with the same glance and tone but one man left her with anger and misery in his breast and the other wondered at his own rapture i have done nothing and gained nothing he would often say to himself as he sat at the work-table afterward but i am madly happy and then he would lie forward with his head upon his folded arms going over the incidents of the night again and again living the seconds over one by one hallworth watched him closely in these days as he passed him on his way to his workroom he would look up and follow him with a glance until he turned in at its door he found ways of hearing of his life outside and of his doings in the works one morning as he was driving down the road toward the town he saw in the distance the graceful figure of mr brierly who was slouching along in the somewhat muddled condition consequent upon the excitement of an agreeably convivial evening at the hoot it he gave him a critical glance and the next moment whipped up his horse uttering an exclamation there's the chap he said by the lord harry in a few seconds more he pulled up alongside of him stop a bit lad he said mr brierly hesitated and then obeyed with some suddenness a delicately suggestive recollection of the barrels induced him to do so he ducked his head with a feeble smile whose effect was somewhat obscured by a temporary cloud of natural embarrassment he had not been brought into immediate contact with hallworth since the strikes began 
the same he faltered with elusive cheerfulness the same to you and and money on em then he paused and stood holding his hat in his hand endeavouring painfully to preserve the smile in all its pristine beauty of expression harworth leaned forward in his gig you're a nice chap he said you're a nice chap a general vague condition of mind betrayed mr brierly into the momentary weakness of receiving this compliment literally he brightened perceptibly and his countenance became suffused with a roseate blush of manly modesty my best days are o'er he replied i've been misfortunate mester but there were a time as the opposite sect has said the same though that there's a thing reflecting deeply and shaking his head as i never remind sarah ann on the next moment he fell back in some trepidation hallworth looked down at him coolly you're a pretty chap he said going on the strike and leaving your wife and children to starve at home while you lay in your beer and make an ass of yourself eh exclaimed mr brierly and make an ass of yourself repeated hallworth unmovedly you'd better be drawing your wages my lad mr brierly's expression changed from bewilderment he passed into comparative gloom it is not drawing em i've gotten out again he remarked it is not drawing em it's earning em and haying em took away and and spent he luxuries burying clubs and the like brass as would buy the necessaries if we'd left you alone said hallworth where would your wife and children be now you scoundrel who's fed em and clothed em while you've been on the spree jem hallworth blast you jem hallworth he put his hand in his pocket and drawing forth a few jingling silver coins tossed them to him take these he said and go and spend em on the necessaries as you call em you'll do it i know well enow you'll be in a worse box than you are now before long we'll have done with you chaps when murdoch's finished the job he's got on hand what's that faltered brierly i ha not heerd on it Horworth laughed and picked up his whip and reins ask him he answered he can tell you better than i can he's at work on a thing that'll set the masters a good bit freer than they are now that's all i know there won't be any need o so many o you lads you'll have to make your brass out of a new trade he bent a little to settle a strap go and tell the rest on em he said you'll do it when you're drunken now i dare say Riley fumbled with his coins his air became speculative what are you thinking on demanded hallworth it's a bad lookout isn't it mr Briarly drew a step nearer the gig's side he appeared somewhat pale and spoke in a whisper muddled as he was he had an idea or so left 
it'll be a bad lookout for him he said bless you they'd tear him to pieces they're in the humor for it they've been carrying a grudge so long they're ready for out they've never thought much of him though but start em on that and they wouldn't leave a shred o it together nor a shred of him either if they got the chance hallworth laughed again wouldn't they he said let em try he'd have plenty to stand by him the masters are on his side my lad he touched his horse and it began to move suddenly he checked it and looked back speaking again keep it to yourself then he said if there's danger and keep my name out of it by george if you want to be safe just as he drove up to the gates of the yard murdoch passed him and entered them until then since he had left Briarly, he had not spoken he had driven rapidly on his way with a grim steady face as murdoch went by he got down from his gig and went to the horse's head he stood close to it knotting the reins nor of him either he said nor of him either by god end of chapter thirty three recording by john brandon